The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. They'll be here in a minute. This is a waste of everyone's time. Can you not just check the camera footage and then you'll see it's a mistake? What do you think? This is Law and Order NUPVC. Can't just pull up footage that quickly. It'll show I'm innocent, more like. You're enjoying this power trip, aren't you? Thanks, Lou. I got this. Kel! Gemma! I didn't know you worked here. It's been a while. How are you doing, kid? I'm pregnant. Yeah, I can see. With quads. Oh, wow. Bienvenue à l'épisode 69 de The Talk of the Street, un podcast non officiel de rattrapage de Coronation Street qui semble maintenant assez sophistiqué pour parler français, tout en étant assez enfantine pour trouver un numéro amusant. Je suis Gavin. Me amo Helen. <laughs> Hola. Did you get any of that? Well, yes, you were saying the the whole thing in en français. Yeah, but did you understand what I was saying, though? Pretty much. I mean, it was the same thing you say every week. No, it's not. Hello, you're welcome to Talk of the Street, uh, unofficial Coronation Street podcast. This right. is episode blah, 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 uh-huh. blah, 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 blah. My name is Gavin. But the blah, 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 blah bit was, the, was a different bit. Oh, what'd you say? I said, uh, I said, welcome to episode 69 of the Talk of the Street, a podcast unofficial... <laughs> Episode 69. Yeah. That's sophisticated enough to speak French, but it's childish enough to find amusement from a number. My name's Gavin. That's what I said in French. Oh. Ooh la la. Oh ho ho. Ho ho. Yeah, that's 69. Yes. Yes, I know. Ah, how are you this week? Ah, I'm good. I'm good. Busy. Busy. Tomorrow's going to be hella busy. Hella busy. Hella busy. Why? Well, the kids have the Superhero 5K in the morning, and I'm not going to be in the Superhero 5K this year, which makes me sad. But it's because I also have to be at a park at 11 to walk through the park and identify trees for people. Wait, 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 wait. When does the 5K start? Nine. So you, you can't do the 5K in two hours? I can't do the 5K take a shower, change out of a superhero costume into hiking clothes, and then drive to Oak Ridge Park and have all of my notes ready and be there to greet people. In two hours? I can't do all of that stuff, no. Hmm. No. Okay. Says the man who's never done a 5K in his life. I've walked for three miles before. (laughs) It takes an hour to walk it. Not in a superhero costume, it doesn't. Oh, because they're so heavy. They they can be. Mm-hmm. Are and they? Hot. They're not, though, are they? And, and it's and 9 hot. o'clock in the morning. You'd be up by 10. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> you've never done one. So how would you know? 
and stop being so snarky. I've walked because, for three miles, though. Yeah, but you've never done a 5K before where you're not just walking. You're also jogging well, then quite a bit of it. You're going quicker. But... And then I would have to drive home from the 5K, shower, change clothes, drive to the park, go through my notes, maybe do a walkthrough before people show up, talk to the other person who's doing the walk with me and everything else. It would be cutting it very close. I'm in my bed anyway. I don't care. Yeah, you don't (laughs) run. You don't jog. You don't do any of these things. And then I have a can drive from one to four after that. Right. For the Girl Scouts. So something had to give. Mm-hmm. And this year it's the 5K. Oh, well. Yeah. Which, you know, it turns out that's pretty good because this was the first year I had to pay for Benny to be in the 5K because he's 13 now. You have to pay for maybe that? For the kit. For ben- if you're 13 and up, you have to pay. Why? $25. To who? It's a fundraising event for kids in foster care. Oh, okay. That's mm. why we do it. Oh. Well, I'll I'll choose not to complain about that then. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> We're trying to do good for the world while you sleep in. Mm-hmm. I'm doing good for the world by staying up late to edit this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we have a... Uh, we have this event going on in town that Gav absolutely loves. I fucking hate this. <laughs> I think I mentioned this every last year, year. Every year at this time, a bunch of Airstream trailers pull into town and park on the streets and people quote unquote camp on the streets and there's a concert and there are other things. That's why I'm doing the, the tree walk that's part of the events for this. Um, and... Gav just loves it. He loves not being able to find a place to park. I can't he loves park not being Street. able to see around things when you have to pull out at the post office. And well, stuff. I had to go and pay the utilities today and go down yeah. to the city hall and I had right. to park like half a mile away from it. You can park right behind. Well, a block away from it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the streams. No. It's but- pointless. We're going to have to do another blame episode coming up here real soon. Why? Remember that we used to do blame episodes? No. You don't remember this? No. You don't remember our blame Canada episode? No, I don't remember our blame. Oh, 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 blame Orlando. Yep, our blame Canada was episode 14. That was when we went to Canada to get haggis poutine and we didn't record a full episode. And then we did blame San Diego when I went to San Diego for a stupid conference. That was episode 20. And I don't know. Maybe I, can, maybe I can find somebody to do... The episode with me while you're in. No, well, no. Well, you'll be I'll, home. I'll be back. I get back home. on Friday. But I get back late on Friday, so yeah. we probably won't be able to do a full episode. I wouldn't have thought. Well, we'll see. Because I won't be taking notes, and you certainly won't be taking notes. It doesn't matter. I still remember everything that happened. So yeah. I think before we did in San Diego, or after San Diego, was a bit kind of we loosen, just winged it, loose and free. We winged it. Right. So that's what we'll be doing in. Uh, I want to say four weeks time. Yeah, a oh. month. Yeah, because it'll be October fourteenth, so a week from tomorrow. Right. I saw who's doing the. Uh, this is a stupid conference for a human capital management system, which <laughs> sounds as exciting as it is uh, in Orlando, Florida, and the the person who's doing the opening keynote is Jerry Seinfeld. 
You hate Seinfeld. I hate Seinfeld. <laughs> but that's kind of impressive, though, I guess, isn't it? Not really. What else is he doing these days? He, he does that driving around in cars with comedians. Right. Which is just a ripple Internet from show. Uh, Robert Llewellyn, who was uh, Crichton in Red Dwarf. He's done that. Uh, it doesn't he do the ago. black cab thing? Wasn't it in black cabs where he'd have musicians perform in the back seat or something? No, that was something separate. I think. Yeah, that's that. And it was it's James Corden who's ripped that off. And I fucking hate James Corden <laughs> more than I hate Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> Devant nous preambule, mon cher. Oui, oui. Corey News. <laughs> Which will not be delivered on Francais. <clears throat> Sue Cleaver, who plays Eileen, has revealed that she nearly died of sepsis after Ooh. falling ill on the set. Sepsis? Yes. Just like little Jack. Absolutely. Perhaps this is how they got the story. <laughs> Yes, she was on um, the UK morning show this morning, the other day, on World Sepsis Day to talk about her ordeal. And it sounds... Coincidence? Awful. Oh. Sounds absolutely awful that she she thought her IBS was flaring up, so she went home to sleep and she her voice was muddled and her her limbs were turning blue and she had to go to the hospital. And get on IV antibiotics and stuff. Sounds horrible. Yeah, it's nasty. <clears throat> but she's okay now though, right? Yes. Yes. That's oh. why she can appear on this morning. But it's good because it you know, it got it gave them a chance to talk about like the signs of sepsis and what you should do and that you should treat it very seriously and what were Jack's signs of sepsis? Flu like symptoms, temperature. His limbs turning blue. Did his leg turn blue? Yeah, and his lips turned blue too, I think. He had like a weird rash. It was blue. So when did this happen? Was this before or after the whole Jack thing? I think it was before because she was still married to um, her ex-husband at the time, who Uh, also used to work on the show. Jamie. Pat Phelan? No. (laughs) (sighs) Moving on. Alison King, our Carla. Carla. Just won Best Soap Actress at the TV Choice Awards held this past week. Right. So, bravo to her. The yeah. only Corey actor who won anything. I don't think there was many Soap Awards at that thing. No, was there was there? only like three. You know, and each one won. Because Inside Soap Awards is still coming up. Yes. Is that soon? Jeez, that seems like it's been dragging on forever because they announced... The nominees, months ago. Yeah, Ben Price fan club has been going on about this for about seven years or so, I think. <laughs> it's really just Ben Price in a wig, isn't it? <laughs> That's what Ben Price seems to think. <laughs> ben so Price thinks that the Ben Price fan page is run by himself in a wig. Exactly. It's just like psycho. Oh. Don't, go, don't be having any showers, Colson Smith. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Finally, according to reports, Sayer Khan, a.k.a. Alia, has split from longtime boyfriend Simon Lennon. Apparently, uh, they just 
didn't have an awful lot of time to spend with one another because she was doing that swimming show. Swimming show? Swimming show. What swimming show? You're going to make me look this up. Oh, I thought you'd have already done that. Well, I did, but I didn't think you were going to ask. We don't watch an awful lot of British TV. I don't really follow what's what's going on in the world of reality TV. So she pulled out, or, or she was out of Coronation Street for a while then, I guess? No, I think she was doing it, because it's like a reality show. Yeah. Where you swim. It sounds so dull. It is called... Sink or Swim on Channel 4. Oof. Yes. So, just celebrities swimming then? I guess. I, I, I haven't really seen... I thought we can't have celebrities just walking down the street. Oh, they must be doing something else. That can't be it. Can, can she swim? Is she learning to swim? Is that what it is? It's manipulative and sappy, but the show about celebrities attempting to swim the channel will make you well up like a rain cloud. They're going to swim the channel? According to The Guardian. That's almost impossible. I think more people have climbed Everest than have swum the yeah. channel. So 11 celebrities who, like 25% of British adults, struggle to swim. Really? Y'all live on an island. You live on an island and you struggle to swim. That doesn't mean that they can't swim. It just means that they can't swim very far. I can't swim uh. very far. Plus, I hate the water. We you get into condition form a relay team that next month will swim 21 miles across the channel. And this was, yeah, so this month, because that was, this this review was written in August. So this month, a relay team of 11 celebrities will swim 21 miles across the channel. Which, as you know, is an obstacle course featuring jellyfish, waves, cold, polluted water, plastic debris, container ships, gulls ready to feast on your still warm corpse. And the piercing shards of shattered human dreams. Oh. More people have climbed Everest than have swum the channel. That's apparently. what I said. I just said that. Oh. So, yeah, that's that's what we're missing out by living in America. So I, that's a little more impressive than that swimming show, which is <laughs> kind of how you build it. She's swimming the channel. Or she's swimming one eleventh of the way across the channel, I guess. Right, yes. So what's that? 21 miles? Split into 11? You're it's like the, two miles each. You're the math whiz. About two miles each. In, in this relationship. About two miles each then. Okay. So yeah, apparently, you know, with all that training for the swimming and stuff. And you know what? Also, her mum her mom died this past year as well. And as you know, that's never an easy thing to deal with. And she was, she's 31 and her mum died. Right. So that plus the swimming show not good for a relationship so they have split ways they were together for oh, about the relationship years. thing I, I forgot how we started this <laughs> she split from somebody simon lennon the actor okay simon lennon has he been in anything i know no <laughs> he's been in nothing i've ever seen just some guy he's been in british stuff and you've lived here for seven years okay I... is that Corey news and that's Corey news <laughs> that's Corey go news. fuck yourself <laughs> This seems to be the. This seems to be the little call sign for Corey News. <laughs> Shuffle your papers. This has been Corey News. Go fuck yourself. 
<laughs> I feel like Will Ferrell on Anchorman. What does he say about San Diego? Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Canada. <laughs> Most of our listeners are in Canada, so... Yeah, but- it's hilarious because Canadians are lovely. They are. And Canada is lovely. Get the bits that aren't. No. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> Our mailbag. Chris wrote another behemoth of an email. I'm going to read out the last bits because they made me laugh. Tim's fucking daddy says the actor himself is doing an incredible job. I see his name in the credits at the end of the show. I know that if the camera were to pull back, it would reveal a stage set more cameras, and a plethora of lights, directors, producers, and technical staff, so I'm aware that he's not real. But as soon as he appears on screen, I'm instantly absolutely fucking furious. And with every hateful, manipulative, and cynical ploy, I detest him more, and I'm not afraid to scream my convictions at television. (laughs) Contrary to uh, most other people's meh-whatever opinions on Robert's predicament, he's loving that storyline. Really? He says, I've no idea where it's going, how he thinks it's going to end up, or even if he's not thinking any further ahead than how he's going to keep up the uh, subterfuge on a day-to-day basis. And although it's virtually identical to Peter Barlow's bigamous adventures of 2003-ish, he doesn't care. Now, Jed's involved too, that's an added dimension, and obviously Robert won't end up holding on to either of his paramours, but I'd very much fear the wrath of Irish Tina when it all comes out. Michelle will just cry, but Irish Tina will hoof Robert's solitary remaining plum into the middle of next week. <laughs> so, the the actress who plays Irish Tina, she had a um like a a, a very small cameo appearance in the uh, in the show Dairy Girls, which I highly recommend. I binged it the other night when I was trying to get some work done, so I put the TV on to keep myself awake, and then didn't come to bed until three a.m. because that's how good of a show it is. But she's like this kind of she plays like this hippie woman who drives around in a van and sells merchandise at at a at take that show i think that's the name of the band isn't it take, take that, that yeah yeah and and uh spells the lead singer's name wrong on all the t-shirts oh really and is, there is no lead singer they all take turns i think well, apart from jason orange who couldn't sing the hot one who was the hot one in take that <sighs> robbie yeah okay because yeah. gary barlow wasn't it was like and she's like drinking behind the wheel and the girls are panicking and freaking out in the back. Huh. So it's a very good show. Everybody should watch it, especially you. You haven't watched any of my recommendations this year. No. In a similar <laughs> vein, says John, oh, much ouch. as I admire Helen's defense of hope, there is no way that she wasn't aware of what she was doing and she had every evil intention to start that fire. No therapy or special schooling can save her. Every bone in her body is evil, and I would love to see Fizz and Tyrone ask Billy to do an exorcism. I can visualise a scene with Billy going to the bedroom and Hope screaming something about Billy's mother in hell. (gasps) (laughs) Then American Helen got in touch on the Facebook. I'm American Helen. There's another American American Helen? Helen. She says, I was just listening to this week's podcast and your discussion on what music was popular when you were in high school. Don't forget the age difference of UK versus US high school kids. High school here in the States is 14 to 18, but in the UK it's 11 to 16. Therefore, with your age differences, Gavin was in high school from 1984 to 89. I was actually 84 to 1990 because I stayed on for a year. And Helen would be in high school from 1990 to 94. Correct. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Not trying to be obnoxious, he says. 
just maybe a mention on next week's show, which we've just done. Yes. If you're interested, and even if you're not, she says that she was in high school between 1976 and 81, and Adamant, Meatloaf, Disco, Punk and ABBA were her favourite tunes. She says, I'm a huge fan of Corey and Talk of the Street. You guys are doing an amazing job. Love your banter. Oh, Isn't that nice? Oh, thank you so much. Then Luara sent us an email. Ah. Gr- greetings from Montreal, Canada. Ooh, Montreal. I was enjoying a recent podcast and heard you mention Irish Tina. My heart nearly stopped as I thought you were talking about Tina McIntyre, who was murdered on the cobbles by Rob Donovan in 2014. <laughs> then I realised you were talking about Vicky Jeffries. Yes. Is there a reason that you refer to her as Irish Tina? Because <laughs> she looks like Tina, only she's Irish. This was, I think, John Giovinacci's suggestion in one of his emails from like a year ago. That yeah, when, when Vicky first turned up. We're like, doesn't she look an awful lot like Tina? Yep, she's an Irish Tina. Yeah, so, so we, we start, start calling, calling Irish, Irish Tina, Tina and, and it's just stuck. And the rest is history. Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. So Chris helped out with Hindsight Corner this week. Last week, uh, I mentioned it was weird at Weddy County, whose kit is green, play at a stadium painted blue. Chris points out that if Corey wanted to film at a ground of a team that played in green, they would have had to have travelled 284 miles to Home Park, courtesy of Plymouth Argyle, which would take four hours and 48 minutes if there were no traffic or roadworks. Which sounds like something a television show should be able to afford to do. (laughs) It says there's always both. So they'd be looking at a round trip of about 12 hours, plus however long it took to film those scenes. Also, that stadium, known to the faithful as the Theatre of Greens, has a capacity of 13,000, which I think would be rather too grand and voluminous for Weather County, who are led to believe are perennial underachievers. Ah. Then Scott also helped out. (laughs) We've had so many people doing doing our job for us. He said... Uh, he finally remembered to write to us for Hindsight Corner, read the debate over Tracy's taste in music from last week's show. Scott says, I am almost exactly the same age as Tracy, and it's absolutely true that she was too young for the Human League, Don't You Want Me, got to number one in 1981, when she wasn't even five. Actually, Steve's also too young for it. He was only seven. Tracy's teen tastes are seen on classic Corey on ITV3, which I wish we could see. I, mean, we, I don't think we can. We're way beyond Stock, Aitken and Waterman with a lot of Kylie, Jason and Brother Beyond until she went through a Britpop phase and wore baggy jumpers and Dr. Martin boots, not to mention her loved up ecstasy taking period. Dr. Martin boots? Mm-hmm. Dr. Martin? Or DM. Doc Martin. Yeah. That was we call them Doc Martin. He here. said DMs. I decided to flounce Be it up. fancy. <laughs> right. Kurt Cobain, Martin. Kurt Cobain died in 1994 when Tracy was 17, so the it was never really your her thing. What? Well, if you just shut up while I was fucking talking. Well, I was making a Doctor Who joke. Kurt, well, there's no, there's never any need for a Doctor Who joke. Kurt Cobain <laughs> died in 19... Uh, okay, fuck you. <laughs> what are you drinking? I'm drinking water out of my Doctor Who cup with a splash of lemon. Fascinating. And what are you drinking? Verners. You're drinking regular Verners. You're not even drinking diet. Didn't have diet. They didn't have diet at Family Feud? Nope. What? I don't think I like the regular No, it's far too sweet. It's not even sweet. It just tastes funny. Anyway. (sighs) That's weird. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes. (laughs) I was going to... 
I've already said wee wee, so. No, a jobby. (laughs) Our first story tonight is one day like this. Oh, we're starting with that? That's how we start. But don't we end with that as well? No. No? What is? Have you watched Fridays? Yes, I just did. What is your? You fa- just did. What is? What is your favorite uh, version of that song? Oh, the Snow Patrol one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, mine too. On Monday, preparations are underway at the bistro for Daniel and Sinead's wedding. Kate is in a foul mood because of weddings. And because she's Kate, and back, selfish. Back home, Adam is there to help Sinead, but she needs to wait for Daniel to leave before she can get ready for the uh, the wedding. Sinead asks Daniel to lunch at the bistro. He protests a little, but Adam tells him to listen to his wife, and she says, I'll see you there at 12. Then Bethany is helping Michelle with her stock take, and it's revealed that Bethany doesn't need to do this for very much longer. She's going to be taking care of Sinead's hair. whoop de doo says Bethany, who still seems to have a thing for, for Daniel. Hmm. Mm. Then later, Sinead is getting her hair and makeup done, and it seems that she's happy with the reception switch because there's a bit in another storyline where the reception is Ray decides that from the bistro, the bistro isn't the place to have the reception. Ray's fancy schmancy cheesy stupid, stupid hotel. hotel, right? And it's a mere three hours before the wedding is due to happen, which seems kind of unreasonable I, and stupid and unbelievable. I don't care. Then Daniel has a crying Bertie at the cabin. This was a strange scene as well. Brian sings a bizarre version of Wannabe by the Spice Girls, which seems to help Bertie settle down. I loved that. And that da- was cute. And then Daniel ends up joining in, though. Yeah. That was less and that was cute. Also cu- mm. it, was, it wasn't as cute as Brian singing it, but still, the two of them bending down and singing Spice Girls to, uh, to a wee baby. That was adorable. Then Bethany comes in and says that she'll see him later at the bistro, but Daniel announces that, fuck the bistro idea. He's off to Blackpool for the day. Why? Just out of the blue. Why? Why Why would you even want to go to Blackpool? So Bethany chases after Daniel and tells him that he can't go. She needs to speak to Daniel about her shitty life and asks uh, him to have a coffee with her. But Daniel overheard Bethany talk about him at the cabin and he doesn't think that this is a good idea. He says he's with Sinead and he can't be with Bethany. So he's assuming that she is kind of fancy them, which she right. kind of does a little bit. He says he's off to Blackpool, and Bethany says, you'd better follow me to the bistro, or you and Sinead might be effed in the A. Yes. Then Daniel comes into the bistro and sees Sinead in her dress. He thinks Ooh, la, la. she's gorgeous and has worked out, and he's worked out that the wedding is back on. He's a clever boy. Uh-huh. He doesn't seem all that surprised, though. Yeah, yeah. that I expected him to be more surprised and more... He's like, oh, okay, so we're getting married after all, then. Yeah. Because mm. he's worked it out. Okay, so clever. <sighs> and what then, did you think of Sinead's dress? I have no recollection of it whatsoever. Was it white? Yes. Uh, it was Jeez. lovely and white. Fur. It was fur? There was like fake fur. There was like, like a fake fur trimmed robe thing over it and it was very flowy and kind of shapeless. But I guess she looked pretty in it. I don't really recall anything about yeah. it. It was white. I didn't like it. And then Daniel and Sinead leave the bistro and the whole street is outside cheering her on. Uh, they get into a classic car and off they drive to the registry office. And we don't see any of this. We yeah, don't see them. We don't see the actual I do's. And at the, and at, Which is fine. Right. Because we saw their actual I do's at the stupid wedding. That didn't count. Right. At the hotel, Adam announces a new Mr. and Mrs. Daniel Osborne. 
Claudia, whose hair is fabulous, announces the Barlow side of the family are all going to Venice for a joint celebration for Ken's 80th, and the Tinker side of the family are super pissed to be left out. Well, I think I think Kirk and um, Beth are invited, but... No, I don't think they are. Sinead's parents are not, or mother and the other aunt are not, no, or I'm grandmother pr- or something. pretty sure Beth Because those are the ones who were put out. Beth was put out as well. She's not gone. In fact... Hmm. Nobody's going. <laughs> Nobody's going now. We all know this. Nobody's no. going. Craig whisks them away for photos with his 35mm camera, and Bethany, yet again, looks put out by all of this. Later, Daniel apo- apologises to Bethany for the mix-up earlier, and they agree to remain mates. And now that Daniel and Schneider are officially married, Adam announces that he's going to move out, and Daniel says that he's going to miss him. Aww. Yeah, don't go packing just yet. <gasps> In a quiet corner, Beth is redoing Sinead's hair, and they gush about it being the best day ever. It's the, the best, best day, day ever. ever. And then Beth best becomes suddenly concerned when she finds a lump on Sinead's neck. Oh. Beth tries to downplay it, but Sinead knows what it is. And despite Beth's pleas for urgency, Sinead says that they'll deal with it tomorrow. So Sinead uh, steals Daniel away from a discussion that the residents are having about the perfect marriage. Kirk thinks that... Was it Kirk that thinks that honesty is the best? Yes, and that's when Sinead decides she's going to tell mm-hmm. Daniel after all. And she tells Daniel about the lump, and Daniel's world just falls apart. He wants to go to the hospital right now, but she wants to enjoy her wedding day. If it is cancer, she doesn't want to know today. It's only going to be a few hours. All she wants is joy, and he eventually agrees, and they return to the party where Brian is leading a conga through the reception room. Yeah, that was cute. Do people do congas anymore? Have at, pe- no, let me rephrase that. Have people ever done congas? At weddings. Have they? Yes. We did one at our wedding, didn't we? No. did one at the last wedding then. We did it at one of my weddings. And uh, when we have Girl Scout um, dances, we'll do a conga. Do you have a little sing song as you're doing the conga? You mean like da 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 But you don't have words? No. Come and join the conga anywhere you want to. That's what we used to do. Of course you did. Oh no, we didn't. that wasn't it. <laughs> I'm thinking of something completely different. I'm thinking of come and join the choo-choo anywhere you want to that I used to do at the at primary school. Right, but that is a conga line. The choo-choo mm-hmm. is a conga line. Ah, so. But it's not a conga. It's a choo-choo. <laughs> sure. Very different. <laughs> Where did we get to? Oh, yes, Daniel's world's just falling apart. Daniel wants... No, we did not. Adam announces the bride and groom and the cake. So uh, they toast to the future and Sinead and Daniel cut the cake, but Daniel loses it a bit and he rushes away. Yeah, and he has a hard time cutting the cake and Sinead kind of has to firm his hand and they cut it together because his hands are shaking so much. Then it's speech time. Oh, God. Adam announces Daniel... Uh, Daniel hasn't prepared anything, but Claudia tells him, just wing it, darling. And that's what he does. He talks about Sinead's just kindness. Just wing it, darling. <laughs> and generosity. And the noises that she makes in bed. But not like that. <laughs> he starts to cry when he talks about Sinead's bravery. So Sinead has to take over, and she talks about how much she loves him. She gets her bravery from him, and how he held her up when she couldn't stand. She wouldn't be here today without him, and she calls him her hero. Aww. And then it's first dance time. And they sway about singing Elbows One Day Like This while it plays in the background. They reveal mm. that they're both scared 
But right now, they're having a beautiful day. That was gorgeous. Yes. That was so well done. <clears throat> yeah. Don't you think? Yes. Because, holy cow, I love your eyes. Bum, 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 bum. Don't only now no, I can realize. It's a good song, though. It's a great song. I'm not really much of a fan of Elbow, but I'm not actually a huge fan of Snow Patrol either, but it's, it's always quite impressive that they can produce something as iconic and perfect as that song, just like right, uh, yeah. Chasing Cars for Snow Patrol is pretty much a perfect song. Pretty much. You know, they're not really renowned. I don't know, are they renowned for writing profound and beautiful songs? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just not aware of it. They do. Uh, they they have written. I, I think everybody just knows Chasing Cars, though. And, but if you listen to their other albums, I think I had good. their first two albums. I, I quite good. can't say I was taken by other of them, but I that like, song's excellent. I like, uh, the one with the astronaut on the cover. The first one. That's the second one. The second one? I think. Because the first one is the one with Chasing Cars, isn't it? Oh, I think we're going down a, <laughs> going down a little hole here that I'm not sure that we can navigate away bit it's out of. Elbow. <clears throat> All I know is Beautiful Day from Elbow. Mm-hmm. That's the, and, I, and I only found out that Elbow originated the song after watching Snow Patrol sing it. On Radio 1. Well, the reason I know it is that it was the BBC's Olympic uh, coverage song from the Beijing Olympics, which was 2008? Yes, because that's the year that song came out, 2008. So that was the the theme to the BBC's Olympic coverage. The bump, 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 bump. But it didn't have, it just had the strings, it didn't have the singing in it. Right. So I had to look it up and I found out that it was Elbow from that. Oh. But yeah. Elbow doesn't have much of a following here i don't think mm, i'm not sure anyone's really familiar with them in the in the u.s no mm. which is more the shame on wednesday then daniel and Sinead are at hospital and it looks like Sinead's already been admitted she's lying in the bed and daniel worries about not getting his uh, this lump thing checked out yesterday Sinead doesn't think it would have made any difference when they talk about the future daniel thinks bertie is going to have three daughters and they'll grow old together in a care home in leafy cheshire and then it's scan time. Yeah. Sinead wants to think of this as Schrodinger's scan results. Right. If she doesn't know, then she doesn't know her expiry date. And Daniel is in no mood to humour her, though. We need to know what we're dealing with, he says. Then Peter and Ken meet Daniel and Sinead as they get back from the hospital. Ken wants them all to meet up to discuss the trip to Venice and refers to his house as number one. I thought that was quite strange. Does he do that all the time? Come back to number one, he says. As opposed to, come back to my house. I don't know. Is his number, is he number one Coronation Street? Yeah. So it makes sense. Well, that's like us saying to people, well, come over to number 600. Yeah, that's a bit clunky though. Number one isn't clunky at all. That sounds kind of posh. Hmm. Come over to number one. So at home, Sinead is playing with Bertie. He's eight months old. Really? That was eight months ago? Apparently. Beth thinks that they should go off for their honeymoon anyway. It'll be a few days before the scan results come back. Daniel thinks this is a great idea and has found a holiday cottage online. Book it, ya bampo, says Sinead. Yes. So Daniel's packing the car when Bethany arrives and tells him the Gazette is publishing her story now after all. Yay! She, 
She notices that he's down in the dumps and he tells her about Sinead's lump, but don't tell anyone. And Bethany agrees to cover his shifts. Daniel and Sinead are packed and ready to go when Sinead gets a call from the hospital asking her to come in this afternoon and she agrees. And Daniel doesn't want to jump to conclusions, but Sinead looks like she's already jumped and has landed on the other side. He suggests postponing until after the holiday, but she thinks they all need to know one way or the other. And before they go, Sinead reads a wee story to Bertie. It's the one that goes, they can't go around it, they can't go under it, so they need to go through it. Yeah, she's doing the bear hunt. Yep. We're going on a bear hunt. And I'm not scared. Then you have to go over... Is it weird that a dog is now barking quite loudly when you started going on a bear hunt? Is that our dog? That is not our dog. Does that sound like bork, 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 bork? <laughs> oh, our dog barks. That's no, it. that's a bark, not a bork. Yeah, it's it's a it's a clapping game. I don't think there's there may there may be a book, but it's it's an old clapping game. Then Beth sees Peter and Carla noise rolls and tells them about Sinead's lump, and she's worried sick. At the hospital, Sinead gets called and she goes in to see the doctor, and Sinead spots the tissues on the table and knows that this is going to be bad news. The doctor confirms, yeah, this is bad news. But Daniel doesn't understand. There was no sign of this cancer three months ago. Yeah, well, says the doctor. And Daniel is worried that they don't have an overnight bag and is surprised when the doctor says, that's not a problem, they can go home once they're done talking. The doc paints a very bleak picture without saying the word terminal. Daniel and the doctor chat, but all we see is Sinead lost in her thoughts. That was a really effective little scene. There was yes. a kind of whistling that was going on. Right, yeah, and kind of echoey, sort of yeah. Thing. And Daniel and the Doctor chat. I've just said that. He doesn't understand. He's not really chatting. He's kind of angry. <laughs> right. And he doesn't understand why they can't do the chemo. Sinead worries that this was all her fault for delaying it. And she wants to know how much time she's got. And he tells her that she probably has maybe three or four months. It's all about quality over quantity at this point. And Sinead realises that she might not see Bertie's first Christmas. So the barrels all congregate at number one where Daniel reveals that Sinead's cancer's back and Beth comes in with Bertie and Sinead snatches him and Beth realises it's bad news but Daniel reveals it's actually worse than that. Ken thinks it's worth getting a second opinion. Oh, shut up, Ken. But Sinead and Daniel just want to go home. So that's what they do. And Daniel wants to save every second but Sinead can't unknow what she knows. She was so happy yesterday and she doesn't think she's ever going to feel like that again. She goes off to take care of a crying Bertie while Daniel finds some wedding whiskey and gets wired into it as he watches the wedding video. That was, that was a little oddly amusing scene when he thinks that something's a, a bottle of wine and when hey, he unwraps it, it's a spiralator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of kind of funny and yeah, it was it was kind of a relief. It breaks the tension. Right. Just enough before you know you deep dive back into it when you realize that he's looking for whiskey and he's going to get drunk mm -hmm. because his wife is dying he breaks down just as Sinead comes back into the room and he pretends that he's fine and pours her a drink she gives him a hard time for not cancelling the cottage and losing the 200 quid because not only did they lose their deposit they lost the whole thing because they can't go she's unnecessarily angry at the two of them they can't even get their hole so does that make them husband and wife or patient and carer She's listened to that fucking idiot Steph who killed herself with kale smoothies instead of getting treatment. How could she have been so stupid? Daniel's heart is breaking, but he thinks he did the right thing because they have Bertie. And he says, what if you'd got the whole hysterectomy thing and we didn't have the baby and we mm -hmm. were still in this situation? Right, yeah. 
I'm not sure that Sinead wants to hear the kind of no glass half full. Yeah, the the thing. The some freak who killed herself with kale was also a pretty funny line. Right, I liked that. Uh, so uh, Sinead asks Daniel to show Bertie pictures in the wedding video. Let him know who his mum was, even though all she'll be is a story to him. And then she says something about the tiger who came to tea. She wishes that she got hit by a bus, something quick, rather than dragging this failing body around. There's no point in treatment, she says. There's no hope. Daniel wants every second he can get with her. She says that she's not scared that much of dying. It's the leaving that's terrifying. And they repeat the little line from earlier as they look out the window together. They can't go around it. They can't go under it. They're going to have to go through it. Yeah, I found that kind of cheesy. The whole using the bear hunt as a as a metaphor mm. a couple of times and that whole thing. I feel kind of bad about not feeling bad about it. <laughs> I, I thought they did a fantastic job. I thought the the acting was was great. I thought the dedicating really the second half of the whole Wednesday episode to it uh, was really effective. You could, you know give the story some room to breathe. I kind of thought that they went... I was a little paint by numbers, I felt, in some parts. I was bawling my eyes out for most of it. For most of the, you know, like in the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Even though I knew it was coming. Right. Even though we kind of predicted this last week. Yeah. I was bawling my eyes out. I was so sad. And then, like, halfway through their dialogue, back in their flat, I was kind of like, oh, just stop talking. Both of you. Yeah. This is, this is, it's, this has gone on long enough. It, you, you've gone over the cliff as far as melodramatic corniness is concerned. It went from... Touching and moving and deeply emotional and very effective, and then just fell over the cliff and became just corny and tired and cliche. I have to agree, and I don't think it's a popular opinion. I don't think many people are going to agree with us. No, but which is fine. But I just think it just it just went on too long. I went on too long, and the uh, and the, the the very pronounced waves of I'm angry and now I'm sad. I'm angry and now I'm sad. I think there was just too many ups and downs. It, it made it, it. I think it's it's probably believable. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I I think it was just a little overdone. And I don't think it was the acting that was the problem. No, I thought the acting was fantastic. I I don't think I've seen. I don't think I've seen better from either of them. Yeah. But the writing was kind of cheesy. Yeah, I think the writing let them down a little bit. Yeah. But I think the it, the show wanted to make it kind of center stage and right and i can understand that but you know i i feel like they could have made it center stage without without the bear hunt and without like like you said you know there was this kind of up and down thing happening where oh we're all upset and we're really angry and now we're just sad but we're gonna get through it and then all of a sudden we're angry again and yelling and throwing glass against the wall. Right. And then we're sad again. And then we're resigned. And now we're angry again. And it's just like, it just... Yeah, that was my issue with it. 
bring somebody else in. Have the baby cry. Do something else. P bring, bring something else into it after after the first you know wave. I th I think it's important to see the reactions and to have Sinead kind of break down and and stuff. Although some of the stuff that she was saying didn't feel true to her character either. You know, I, I found it very effective and deeply chilling that as as soon as Beth finds the lump, Sinead knows. Right. Sinead knows before she even goes to get the scan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not that, you know, the and bit that of the wedding, was just... That, I had no issue with the wedding stuff. I no. thought the wedding stuff was great and the way that they, they played it out was so, so emotional and so sad. Right. And then and the doctor's office... Was really good. It was just a bit back home. It was, yeah, it was just a bit back home. And it just... she's she's angry at him for not cancelling the holiday cottage, which I thought was that that was fine because she's focusing on something that is that there's something tangible that she can focus her anger on, and I right. thought that that really worked. But it kind of should have stopped at that point. Right. Or just had a little bit more. And they needed something else in that scene, I thought. I think yeah, maybe they're just no, the two of absolutely. them. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Somebody else needed, Adam needed to come home. Or Beth needed to come over with, with Bertie. Something, some, there needed to be something new added. To break it. To, to break it and mm -hmm. to add another level to it. You know, because it's just it was the back and forth, far and back too much. And forth just, yeah, far too much. Anyway, so on Friday, then Beth's round to see Daniel and Sinead, and she wants to get to the hospital and get home. That's Sinead, that is for Bertie, but she has a favour to ask of Beth. She asks Beth if she could tell people for her because she can't face it herself, and Beth <laughs> is only too happy to oblige. Sort of. Yeah. Well. The news let's is beginning. Give Beth credit here she is she's a rock through I, all this i think beth has been fantastic this week absolutely and uh news has begun to spread at roy's roles jenny maria craig etc they all find out and jenny offers to tell the regulars at the rovers and then chesney comes in oh. beth needs a word with him she explains to him and he's kind of devastated then Chesney sees Sinead and Daniel walking down the street later and Sinead gives Chesney a hard time for looking at her sympathetically with his lost puppy eyes. Poor Sinead, she says. And she storms by him on the way to their hospital appointment, leaving Chesney to look on kind of confused. And at the hospital, Sinead is feeling bad about Chesney. Daniel says it will understand, which is true. Then someone rings a remission bell and Sinead observes that she won't be ringing at this time just before a nurse comes to take her away. Then later... Sinead turns up at Chesney's. She talks about her day, about making decisions on dying at home or in the hospice, and she apologises for her outburst. And he tells her that she'll never be poor Sinead. She'll always be Sinead to him. Aww. And see, that was great. It was good. Because yeah. it was simple. Right. And it was one emotion. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I was really glad that they didn't make it... They didn't make that interaction... Too overblown. Because remember when he first found out she was sick? Yeah, he was really upset. He was really upset. He wasn't as upset this time. No. Oddly. Well, I think he's got Gemma and the quads. Well, he's got enough to think about, yeah. He's, he's got a lot in his, his mind anyway. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought that, yeah. 
that was really good and having you know the reactions of the other characters and, and Beth going around and telling people and people watching that was all very good yep very good and I liked how this storyline gets kind of woven into and tied into some of the other storylines of the week yeah, as it's pretty other, much all of them yeah. as other characters start to start to react to something mm-hmm occurring to one of their own that was really great too right <sighs> the writing was on the wall for this right from steph's involvement wasn't it because the show has freak to... who killed herself with kale the, the show has to be very careful how it deals with this yes that a character who refused treatment for so long survives this was always going to come back and bite her on the arse wasn't it well i mean she did it for a noble cause. She did it for her baby. So that's understandable. And, and she did eventually, she did get back into treatment. Right. So that was good. I think, she, I think if the actress wasn't already planning on leaving, I think she would have survived. I wonder which was first. Was it that just leaving or was it the character getting killed off? Yeah. I'm not sure. But yet again, we have we have somebody not just, you know, living, you know, moving on to greener pastures. No. She's dying. Yeah, in three or four months is pretty much, you could die at any point, really. All right. Because they don't... It's going to happen at Christmas, though, isn't it? Yeah, probably, This is going to be yeah. like the big Christmas thing. Just to get us all depressed for Christmas. Yay! Whoa! Anyway, let's move on. Our next storyline tonight is Menage uh Irish Tina. <laughs> More French. Ooh la la. On Monday. Robert Menage has Big Daddy. <laughs> Robert has uh caviar for the secret wedding and Sinead has added extra people to the guest list, so Robert says that he needs to go off to the wholesaler. Meanwhile, Michelle confesses that she's already said re- yes to Ray about the franchise idea. And despite this, Robert still wants to talk about it. He's not sure. But he goes off, and then in comes Ray to see how the preparations are going. He tells Michelle that his daughter had cancer for a bit, but it's cleared up now. He'd like to help out with the wedding preparations, and he offers up one of his venues for the reception. It's a bit fancier than the bistro, he says. Michelle says that she'll need to check with Sinead to make sure it's okay with her, but then tells Bethany to phone Robert and tell him about the change of venue. So Michelle's just made up her mind for everyone. I kind of hate Michelle. You know, he he says it's on the house and everything will be free. Right. So that kind of seals the deal. Then at the bistro, Tracy is firstly upset that Michelle has moved the venue and then is further upset to learn that Ray is paying for it when she only charged Sinead cost. She'd have charged extra if she knew Michelle's fancy man was paying. And Michelle insists that Ray is just her boss. I write, says Tracy. Then Robert is back in the kitchen with more Tracy caviar. Tracy is the voice of reason, isn't she? <laughs> Remember, she was really evil last year. And she's still evil. She's, we still get constantly reminded that she killed someone. She's far more likable, though, this year. She's, yeah, she's a, uh, oh, what are those uh, Dungeons and Dragons delineations? You know, the chaotic good, neutral good. What the fuck are you talking about? Never mind. Carry on. <laughs> Michelle asks if he didn't get the message. And apparently not. The reception's at one of Ray's poxy hotels now. 
but he's made the canopies and he made a special menu and all that sort of stuff. This is the second time Michelle has pissed off. I made the canopies. (laughs) This is the second time Michelle has pissed off Robert thanks to Ray. And canopies. She says she was just trying to take some pressure off of him, but he tells her to buckle up, buckaroo. He'll stick around for the ceremony, but after that, he's back off to Stoke. So get it right up, you. Yes, GTF. Then at the hotel, Michelle and Carla are complaining about Robert. Michelle thinks it'll come round. After all, they're supposed to be getting married soon. That's right. And Robert's not in Stoke. Can you guess where he is, Helen? Irish Tina's home. He's at Irish Tina. (laughs) They're eating all the wedding canopies, and Robert asks if it's okay if he stays over. He's too stressed from work. He needs to get away from it, get a break, and Irish Tina is only too pleased to oblige. Meanwhile, Ray is well impressed with Michelle being able to get the decorations and all that done so quickly. Because let's not forget, she had three hours. Right. And Michelle did all that. Yeah, but a lot of other people helped. Kate and Carla were helping. He wants to speak with her about the franchise idea and tells her to meet him in his room later. He has a room at his own hotel, but he doesn't have an office. Yeah. Hmm? Well, his office isn't there, but, you know, he's... He booked a room in his own hotel. He can. There's it's an, his hotel. There must be a an office space in that hotel, or a conference room, or somewhere they could meet up that wasn't yeah. his. Yeah, this is. At this point, Michelle's Weinstein alarm should be ringing, and they're not. No, because she's. But Carla's dumb do a little gullible. bit because she's immediately suspicious, and Michelle no longer seems to care what Robert will think of any of this. Then Robert and Irish Tina are snuggling on the couch when he gets a text from Michelle saying that the wedding's going well and uh, she tells him that Ray wants to talk about the franchise and Robert just deletes the message. So Michelle heads up to Ray's room and finds him in his dressing gown claiming to be just out of the shower. He's maybe eight Weinsteins out of ten at this point. Yikes. He congratulates her on her job again and then talks about the franchise. They sit together on the bed and she's confused about uh, the name of the franchise being Michelle's. Right. That's awful. Yeah. Because she's a talent. Jeez, oh, really? Why? How? What on earth? Because he wants to get his hole off of her. She's a talent. He thinks that they need to... Uh, no, she thinks that they need to talk... Uh, no, he thinks they need to talk about Robert. The business doesn't need any more chefs, he says. Michelle is a talent. And then he goes full 10 Weinsteins when he rubs Michelle's leg and starts masturbating in the uh, potted plant. Oh, no, he doesn't do that, sorry. No, he doesn't. Michelle doesn't take this well. Uh, she doesn't do business this way. He says, well, neither do I. And he throws her out, telling her that she got everything wrong. And she says, well, what about the franchise? And he just kind of slams the door in her face. So she really is this dumb. Right. All, all this time I've been trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, saying, no, she's being willfully gullible. No, she's just thick. No, she's just really stupid. Irish Tina and Robert have finished watching Thor. Thor Ragnarok. Irish Tina looks forward to doing this more once they're married. And then she feels the baby kick or flutter or something. He can't feel it in more ways than one. <laughs> and then they smooch. And then they go off to get their hole. What did you think about Thor Ragnarok, Madalyn? I think I slept through most of it, didn't I? What one was that? That was the one with uh, Jeff Goldblum with uh, paint on his face. In, in outer space where uh, they find Hulk... And Hulk is the, is like a wrestling guy on this planet that Jeff Goldblum runs. And um, 
Thor and, and Loki find out that they had a, a big sister named Hela, which is funny because in mythology, Hela is actually Loki's daughter. Um, and it's played by that actress that I don't like. No. And there's a big dog. On Wednesday then, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Robert wakes up at Irish Tina's. Michelle calls him, but he dings it again. She leaves a message for him to call her back. Kate Blanchett. She, she hates actor. it when they fall out. Then Irish Tina catches Robert trying to sneak out. She gives him a present. It's a little box. <laughs> What's in the box? It's dog tags with the, with big daddy written on them. Because this show really wants us to believe that Irish people are tacky. <laughs> well, she certainly is. Irish people are tacky, according to... English people. Dog tags with Big Daddy. Big Daddy, yeah, because Robert's going to wear that. Consider yourself tagged, she says, and (laughs) puts it around his neck. I've written down, classy. (laughs) That's just... I'm going to get you... So awful. Dog tags. I used to have dog tags. Yeah, but they didn't say Big Daddy on them. They didn't say anything on them. There was nothing on them. There was just the little plates. And Stella had her army birthday party... A few years ago, I got like little plastic dog tags and the kids got to decorate them with their names and stuff because that's the kind of mom I am. On Wednesday then, so Robert comes home and seems surprised to see Michelle. He apologises immediately for being a dick earlier. They agree to put it behind them and Robert is agreeable to the franchise idea now. Then Ray calls Michelle and she dings it. She doesn't tell him about Ray groping her or about his wanting Robert out of the picture. Later, back at Ray's office... Because he does have an office. Michelle meets up with Ray. He's reconsidering the franchise idea. He doesn't think this is the right time or Michelle is the right person. Don't let the door hit your arse on the way out, he says. Yeah, he actually does say, please shut the door on your way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is... Yeah. He looks a lot like Rick the Chin. Only with less chin. Yep. Ray with the regular sized chin. <laughs> But I mean, this was always, this was, this was always what was going to happen. Because I think at first, the whole reason why I was like, oh, Speed Doll is so great. Oh, I love it. It's because he kind of wanted to get into Alia's pants. But then when Alia introduced him to Michelle and Michelle was slightly more age appropriate and right. more attractive to him, not necessarily more attractive to the world, um... That's when he drops Alia like a hot potato and Michelle becomes his whole world, you know, because he was very, very effusive about, oh, no, I, I really want to use Speed Doll for everything and I really love your food. And then all of a sudden, well, I don't really love your food. I just like this one woman and it's OK that we're going to use the Bistro's food instead of Speed Doll's food, which was the food that I initially fell in love with. <laughs> it just doesn't make very much sense. Yeah. So this he was always going to be skeevy. So is this the end of that or do you think she's going to go back to him and do you think she's going to have a fling with him or because that would make this a little bit more complicated, wouldn't it? If Michelle <sighs> was having a bit of a with this Ray character. There doesn't seem to be much of a spark there as far as she's concerned. See, though. and I I fully expected that this was going to be the storyline that would allow her to leave. That this was going to be the way Michelle exits is right. by going off and, and working for this guy. But that doesn't seem to be the case now. No. Oh well, we shall see. Hmm. 
Can you be easily fired? Just that easily fired from your job? I don't think so. I, I think it takes more than not wanting your boss to rub your leg while he's wearing a bathrobe. Does she know. still have the job, though? Well, remember, he's, he just says... Because this is a franchise thing that he's yeah, giving the kibosh to. She's right. still running his hotels or something. I guess. Yeah. That would seem rather clean. awkward. I don't know. Our next storyline tonight... I don't care. ...is <laughs> Fizzy's Secret. On Monday, Fizz is outside on the we phone... still don't know what Fizz's secret is, ...telling though, someone that she hasn't told Tyrone yet. Then she steps into the garage to show off some books she's picked up cheap for Hope's homeschooling. And, and that's, that's the that. end of that. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> Moving on. Kev the Crank. Now this is a storyline I like. Ah, did you? I did. I did, because... When you're talking about wrongful dismissal... Yeah, but... It all ends up well in the end. Oh, yeah, sure. Because it, because it does. On Monday, at the garage, Abby gets Kev wound up talking about schools and books and homework and how kids these days only want to be Batman or Wayne Rooney. And of course, she's recording all this for her ill-advised website idea. Then Tyrone and Kev are eating lunch when Ty tells Kev that Abby's well into Kev. Kev wonders why uh, and then realises, oh, wait, wait a minute, Sally said something very similar. Right, yeah, because Ty was watching Abby, watching Kev, not realizing that she was also recording him at the same time. Because he didn't he know. He couldn't notice. He didn't notice her phone inside the door of the car. Right. Then later at the garage, Kev asks Abby for a drink later at the Rovers, and she thinks it's innocent, and so agrees. Tyrone then explains that Kev thinks this is a date, and Abby's appalled. The only reason that she's been laughing at the shit Kev says is because she's been posting Kev's rants online. Tyrone correctly predicts that Kev will go through the fucking roof about this. Absolutely. And advises her to kill the website and let Kev down gently about the whole date thing. Yeah. Then Abby and Kev meet up at the Rovers. He's all dressed up and she's less so. He heads to the bar and Ali comes in and kind of reveals that he's heard one of Kev's rants online. Confused, Kev takes his pint back to the table. I'm really surprised that it's taken this long for somebody to, to, to do that. Right. By the way. Then Abby apologises. She says this isn't a date. She loves him as a mate and that's it. Then Ali reveals how big a fan he is of Kev's rants. Kev is again confused and Abby is forced to explain. Mm -hmm. And she does this off camera and then insists that it's all been done with affection but Kev doesn't see it like that. He's been humiliated. There are a thousand strangers laughing at him and he fires her. Just like that. And uncharacteristically, Ali's recording this on his phone. Which is weird. And when Kev rants at him... Ali just laughs in Kev's face. Yeah, because Ali's on drugs. Well, we don't know this yet. <laughs> but we yet. don't know this yet. <laughs> but even so, yeah. this was just so not Ali. It, yeah, it does It does really seem out of character. So he must have been high at the time. That's that's the only explanation there is. On Wednesday, Paul and Sophie are at Kev's. Kev explains to Kev the crank for rants and bants thing. Sophie reckons there's a compliment in there somewhere. Abby must really think that he's funny. He reckons that she thinks he's a dinosaur, and he reveals that he fired her. She's not wrong. <laughs> you are a dinosaur. Sophie's getting the Abby side of it. Uh, she thinks Kev is a legend. There's folk who want servicing from Kev the Crank. But not like that. Maybe like that. No, well, yeah. This could be a bit of a moneymaker if, Ke- if Kev could just chill the fuck out about it. I find it hilarious that... This is attracting a certain kind of lady. Right. <laughs> the Rovers, Sophie pleads Abby's case to Kev. 
she's given it the big sell and Abby's kind of hovering about in the, the background. Abby's been giving them free publicity, plus she saved Sally in prison, remember? Then Abby discreetly coughs and reminds Sophie of helping out with the burglary as well. She uh-huh. agrees to take her back, but no more posting stuff without his knowledge. Right. Then a little later on, Paul is impressed that Sophie managed to fix the Kevin Abby situation and reckons that uh, Sophie is capable of so much more than she gives herself credit for. Yes. On Friday, Kev is looking at something amusing on his phone. I thought maybe he was looking at the his own videos. Right. But I don't think he was. No, no, he was reading that text from somebody. A, a saucy housewife. <laughs> when Paula comes in to see Sophie, she has some college prospectuses for Sophie. She reckons that Sophie is capable of something amazing, but Sophie doesn't reckon it's for her. Then at the Rovers, we discover that Kev has an offer of a hot date from an old girlfriend thanks to the Kev the Crank thing. Yeah, and that's what he was reading. Yeah, and he's unsure, but Jenny tells him to stop being such a moaning little pussy and get wired in. And there's a scene where Kev and Sophie talk about their opportunities for happiness. Kev with his old flame and Sophie with whatever, the college stuff, who cares. Then later in the Rovers, Sophie tells Paula that she's got a conditional offer from a business management course at university. Huzzah! And I've written down, huzzah. Yes, because everybody, it, and again, this is this is what I'm talking about with, uh, you know, Sinead kind of seeping into all the other storylines is that what, what Sophie and Kev say to one another is that Sinead's short life is giving them pause to uh to go out and grab life by the ass and grab it by the ass yes grab life by the ass that's the famous the famous phrase would you rather i go say, out there and grab life by the ass would you rather i say grab life by the balls would that be better grab it by the scruff of the neck is what you do don't you that's not very affectionate it's not meant to be affectionate yeah i'm going to grab Life lovingly by the ass and squeeze. <laughs> and squeeze. <laughs> so tenacious D there. <laughs> so I'm kind of disappointed that Kevin Abbey aren't going to be a thing. They were never going to be a thing. Oh, the, age, money on that. the age difference is is too much. And we've already put Abby with a guy who was too old for her. So we weren't going to do that again. But I'm glad that this Kev the Crank thing is done. Continuing. No, it's done. Is it done? No. No, because they're getting business out of it. Oh, yeah, but, so but Kev's... Kev uh, has to approve. aware of it now. Yeah, yeah, he has to approve them before they get posted. But yeah, that was a, quite a fun wee, yeah. wee interlude, I guess. Yes, I liked that. Our next story. What's her face? What was her name again? Okay. Yeah, she's gone. I thought you were going to say Carol, and I was like, I don't remember Carol finally coming back. Tell you something, though, Carol got a better exit than Kate did. <laughs> Be nice. We are going to get slammed. Oh, bring it on. By the Kate stands on Twitter. <laughs> on Monday, Jenny's at the cabin buying a box of truffles and wafers and chocolates for a special someone who needs cheering up. Oh. And she has to basically yank the box out of Brian's hands because he seems to be seems to have his heart set on it because it was near its sell by date. And right, he's yeah. Pick up for cheap. The street are all dressed up, ready for Sinead and Daniel's wedding. 
Craig is a cameraman, presumably because he has a better vantage point than the rest of the characters. Because he's tall. Gary is pleased that all this is working out well and they're all... In the long run, it's just a shame about Rana, he says. And then he sneaks a brown envelope into Kate's bag, which cameraman Craig sees, but then quickly dismisses. Well, yeah, because b- but before this, somebody has, somebody has informed Gary that Kate wants to get away but can't afford it. I can't remember who it was. It may have been Kate herself. As they're waiting for the wedding, Jenny apologises to Kate for being hard on her and tells her that she's got a present for her later. And later at the hotel, which looks oddly familiar, I wondered if this was the same hotel that Steve and Tracy got married no, in. No, this is a different one. Is it? Kate finds the envelope in her bag, and wouldn't you know it, it's stocked full of cash. And Kate jumps to the conclusion that this was Jenny's pounds. doing, and is vague enough when she thanks Jenny so as not to give it away. Although Kate totally overplays it. Kathy asks what the present was, and Kate announces it was £1,000, and now Jenny is too crippled by social embarrassment to admit that Kate's got it wrong, and it was actually only a box of chocolates that you got her. His life is like a box of chocolates. Kate explains her plans to go to Singapore to Carla, and it's all thanks to Jenny's generosity. Carla is well impressed, and Jenny's dismissive and says nothing, leaving Kate to feel bad for being nasty to Jenny for so long. How much do you think a thousand pounds is going to go towards a trip around the world? Well, it's just, it's going to get her to Singapore, and then she's bunking up with What's her name? Imogen. Yeah. Imogen. That's a nice name. And then she's going to go to Japan because it was always a plan to go to Japan. Her and Rana just wanted to go to Japan. They'd, Apparently. They talked about little else than mm. going to Japan and doing Japanese things. And right. On Wednesday, Kate interrupts a conversation between Sophie and Abby to ask Sophie to guess where she's going tomorrow. Oh, do fuck off, Kate, says Sophie, but with her eyes. Singapore, says Kate. My baby's gone travelling, says Johnny. I forgot. Johnny Albert. I forgot what my Johnny voice was, so I completely overreached. We're sober. She's going to meet up with Imogen and then head to Japan on her own. And she moans about this being her and Rana's dream, and she's only able to do this because Jenny gave her a grant. Privately, Johnny wonders how Jenny was able to afford this, and guesses she's scaled back with her renovations in the the upstairs of the Rovers. Yeah, the the master bathroom. Yes. No longer using marble, apparently. That must be it. So on Friday, she was apparently going to use marble in the upstairs master bathroom of the Rovers. <laughs> the roof would just come in, wouldn't it? On Friday, Kate selfishly interrupts Sophie as she's walking down the street. They talk about travels, and Kate suggests to Sophie that they should that uh, Sophie should go away with them. Craig overhears this, and Kate explains that Jenny gave her the money, slipped it in her bag at the wedding. But Craig explains it was Gary who did that. Yeah, too little too late there, right. Craig. Why didn't you say right at that moment, hey, what are you slipping into her bag? Then Kate goes round to the furniture place and confronts Gary about the money. Gary denies it at first until Kate says that Craig saw him. Then Gary says that he heard that she wanted to leave and wanted to help. She doesn't understand how he can give away that much money without blinking. She doesn't think that she can take the money just because Gary feels guilty about the roof. Gary says that Derek's loaded, gave him the cash... And Kate changes her tune. She forgives Gary for any blame he feels and then tells him that she's already spent the money anyway, so there was no chance of him getting the money back. Right, yeah. I wasn't going to return it, but, you know, 
Yeah. Whatever. What? And the Rovers, it's all come out about Jenny letting Kate think that she gave her the money, but no one seems to give a shit. Johnny looks sad that his daughter is leaving, and Kate doesn't look like she cares one way or the other. And neither does anybody else. <laughs> then Carla gives Kate an album or something, who cares? Carla's not in it, <laughs> so Kate whisks her away to get a photograph taken to put that right. Then later, Johnny proposes a toast to Kate, and four people join in. And that's it. And that's a lot. Kate's gone. We don't see hugs. We don't see long goodbyes. She's not in the back of a, back black, of a black cab, cab. looking out the rear uh, window Watching as it drives away. Coronation Street just fade into memory. With everyone on the street standing, waving to her. Bye bye, Kate. Bye bye now. Take care. Safe travels, Kate. Fizz had more of a send off when she was going to be coming back. Right. <laughs> so did Eileen. And so did Carol. Carol had at least a scene where she walked away. You saw her Sadly, walk away. with the, you know, old Incredible Hulk music in the back. <laughs> I always was affected by that music. It's very sad music. I, do you know, for about a year, it was the sound, or it was a tune that I heard in my head as I was walking home from school. Oh. Usually, oh. usually on my own. Oh. You would think that would be happy music. It would be walking to school that would be the sad music. You know, life is a cabaret I had in my head as I walked towards school. Did you stop and stick your thumb out with your jacket tossed behind your shoulder? Yeah. Were you walking into the woods up a hill? Yeah. Had the investigator McGee was just like 200 (laughs) yards behind me, following at a safe distance. (laughs) That is the second reference to the Incredible Hulk we've had tonight. Is it? Yes. Oh, I guess that... That'll have to be our tangent of the week, I guess. But what a what a low key, ho ho, a low key, aha! What a low key exit for. It's almost as though the people who write the show and make the show really don't like that character. Or well, we're not going to speculate on that. Who knows? Who knows? But it's just. It was a lot so of nothing. people are angry about how nothing, how much of a nothing burger this was. It was a nothing burger with extra nothing, yeah. yeah. She wasn't a great character. She was so selfish. She was so annoying. I, I, now sa- Johnny I'm... has one child left and it's the child that he cares the least about. I'm sad that she's gone simply because it'll... I enjoyed complaining about her. Yeah. And now, like I said, we only have one lesbian left on the street. Our penultimate storyline tonight is Gemma's We Issue. Oh, I see what you've done there. <laughs> yes. At Royal Rolls, Michael gets a call from Bernie, but dingy's it. There's an awful lot of dingy in phone calls this week. Quite right, says Aggie. That Bernie's a wrong one, she says, trying to sell Gemma's pee and all that, which serves as a useful, if heavy-handed reminder of what's been going on recently. Then we see Gemma. She's fucking enormous now. It's a two-man job to get her cakes on, she says. Right, but, yeah, and Bernie walks in and thinks that she and Chesney are... Uh, oh. Yeah, but Bernie, they're not. They're, Bernie they're just trying to get her pants on. to go maternity clothes shopping with her. She's had a bit of a bingo one, she says. So Bernie and Gemma are chatting in the shopping centre and Bernie promises to stick around for Gemma and the little ones, which Gemma appreciates because she's cacking it now. Bernie thinks Gemma will be a smashing mum. 
And meanwhile at the Rovers, Ed is, than pretty. Ed is about to donate the change from two hot pots into the quad begging bucket, but Aggie puts the kibosh on that as Chesney comes in and she reveals the plan to sell Emma's wee as uh, positive pregnancy tests. Gemma's. Gemma's wee. What did I say? You said Emma. Emma's oh, not pregnant. Okay. Only she thinks that Gemma and Bernie were in cahoots about it. Yes. Ches phones Gemma while she's still shopping and explains the scam. Bernie's having a laugh trying on maternity trousers when Gemma confronts her. Gemma and Bernie have a loud argument in the middle of the store when Bernie storms off and she sets off the alarm and a security guard chases her down. Right, because she's still wearing the maternity pants. <coughs> right. Bernie explains that she accidentally left while wearing the trousers, but the guard isn't having it and drags her off to speak with his boss. Gemma grabs her bag. <laughs> that was quite funny. Gemma has to kind of Bend at the knees. Bag and, and, and Bernie's bag. And she hurries and she's kind of waddling after the pair of them. Gemma wants him to check the CCTV. The guard says, What do you think this is? Law and Order NUPVC? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. They can't access footage that quickly, he says. Then the boss really? turns up and it turns out to be someone Gemma knows. It's Kel. He's Bernie's ex and the stepfather to Gemma and Paul. He walked out on her before and she reckons that he should let her go to make it up for it. Then at home, Chesney and Gemma are appalled at Bernie, but Bernie doesn't really care. Chesney's no, heart, she really doesn't. Ch- Chesney's heart isn't really into it, given the whole Sinead situation, and he explains about Sinead to Gemma. Then Kel shows up for lunch after Bernie's invitation as a thank you for letting her go, and Gemma reveals that Kel was a great guy, and she's not quite sure why he left. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we go with that. Yeah. What did you think about this one? Yeah. We're going to find out why Kel left. And finally, Paul is going to be back on. I haven't seen Paul in ages. I know. I like Paul. Paul's my favourite gay on the show. Uh, favourite gay, let me think. Mm. Well, let's see. It's either Billy, Billy no. Sean. Good God, no. Or Paul. It's going to be Paul then. <laughs> Favourite lesbian? Sophie. Mm-hmm. She's the only lesbian we have. I, I'm i still saying that... Uh, Paula is bisexual. Paula. Paula is not a lesbian. She is bisexual. That's bisexual erasure. Well, that's she's my favourite bisexual then. Yes. Well, that's fine. She can be your favourite bisexual. Our final storyline tonight. It's Maria and Ali. Maria and Ali. <laughs> I've just met a girl named... On Monday, at the pre-wedding <laughs> thing, the women are gushing about Ray's generosity and his arse. But Tracy is unimpressed. If he's too good to be true, he probably is, he says. And Maria, who's there, looks concerned by this remark. Too good to be true. So Maria's back in the salon and Ali was chatting to Emma and following Tracy's speech from earlier, Maria's now suspicious that something is going on between Ali and Emma. I kind of... Which was dumb. It was dumb the way that she just suddenly became so jealous of this based on something that Tracy said for a kickoff. Right, yeah. And the, the innocence of Emma. Right. She's really... Do you think Emma's going to do the dirty on Maria? Right, and, and again, this is such a old, cliched, you know... Oh... Somebody's planning a surprise for somebody else, but the other person overhears, and instead of thinking that it's a nice surprise for them, they think that they're cheating on them. Yeah. This has been done to death it's, it's in a, soap operas from time immemorial. It's on a weekly basis. And sitcoms, for that matter. 
A whole season of Frasier to drag, is totally based on this. Do I have to drag Three's company back into this? No. Then Maria and Emma are talking about Emma's love life, and Emma says that she has her eyes on someone, but she thinks that he's attached, which just makes Maria worse. Yeah. Then Ali and Emma are continuing to whisper mysteriously at the rovers to each other, and Maria hears them ask Emma if she thinks that Maria suspects anything. Tonight is going to be special, says Ali. Then Maria and Ali are at a table in the rovers, and Maria asks him uh, out to dinner, and Ali claims he has... Uh, something to do with business that he has to attend to. She's furious that he's lying and he's a bad liar and accuses him of seeing Emma behind her back. He explains that he's organising a getaway to a hotel tonight and Emma has agreed to look after Liam. That's what that was all about. The bloke that Emma fancies is apparently a guy called Charles who always complains about his girlfriend and Emma just smiles and nods. Yes, that's that's the person that I'm interested in. That was quite funny. Yeah. Placated Maria and Ali smooch. Then on Wednesday, Maria and Ali have fair enjoyed their filthy night away. They have some low- Only it hasn't been filthy yeah. because Ali fell asleep. They have some low-grade banter with Ryan and it seems that they didn't get their hole after all because Ali fell asleep as soon as they lied down. And later, Maria brings lunch to the hospital for Ali. He doesn't look all that pleased to see her and is preoccupied by another doctor or somebody getting arrested. A pharmacist. She's asking a load of questions and he turns on her, but not like that. And tells her to bugger off and let him do his job. She's not impressed as she leaves and he realises that... He doesn't want her bagel with avocado. Maybe his tone could have been better. I wonder what his problem is, Helen. Hmm, I don't know, Gav. What do you think his problem is? Lack of sleep? Oh, she was just annoying. Withdrawal? He doesn't like avocado? She was annoying. Avocado. I love avocado. Ali appears at the barbers with flowers. He apologises to Maria, but this hot and cold routine is doing her head in, she says. She has a life. It's not particularly exciting. No kidding. But it's a good one. He insists he cares about her. Talk is cheap, she says, but he promises to make it up to her. Then the rovers, Ryan reckons Maria will come round. Ali thinks he's blown it with her. Then Ryan gets some kind of notification on his phone telling him that a drug dealing doctor got lifted at the hospital earlier. Pharmacist. Ali grabs his collar. A wee bit. It's a pharmacist. Then on Friday, Ali sees Maria at Roy's Rolls, but she's still giving him the cold shoulder following his outburst the other day. She thinks he looks awful. When he's feeling better, he can make it up to her and he promises to do so tonight. She leaves, and when she's gone, Ali looks like he's about to throw up. Now at the medical centre, a sweaty Ali is feeling rough and wants to see the locum. Dr. Gardas is hovering about at the reception desk and no offers to see him right now. And reluctantly, Ali agrees, and Dr. Gardas is looking fucking fabulous. She really is. She's my favourite lesbian in town. Is she a lesbian? I don't know. I'm just making assumptions because of her her wardrobe and her hair. She was looking fabulous. Good on you, Dr. Gadas. In Gadas's office, Ali explains that he's not sleeping and asks for a prescription for diazepam. Gadas is suspicious and recommends a counsellor. She asks him to be in her shoes and think about how he would feel. She caught him in his office a few months ago, which she overlooked, and now he turns up sweating and agitated. She knows about the pharmacist that was arrested, and Ali claims that he didn't really know him, but Dr. Gaddas only wants to help, but Ali storms out shouting that he's not an addict. I'm not an addict. <laughs> so, I'm not dead yet. So Ali goes I'm round, happy. So, so Ali goes... So Ali goes round to Roy's old where he talks to Roy and Roy is sporting a snazzy new haircut and he's uh, worried about Carla who's reading a book because Carla never, never reads. reads books. 
Conveniently, Roy mentions that Scott came round earlier and gave her some uh, diazepam, but Carla's not interested in taking them, and Ali sends Roy off to get them, and he says that he'll speak with Carla. Roy does this, and Ali slips the pills in his shirt pocket, and then goes over to speak with Carla. Carla has been affected by the Sinead storyline, it's just not fair, and there's nothing Carla can do to help, there's no money that she can throw at it, she has nothing to offer. And somewhat reluctantly, Ali slides the pills over to Carla, and begrudgingly tells her to only take them if she wants them, and then looks gutted when she does so. Right, and the only reason why he slides them over is because Roy comes back over and right, says... standing right behind him. Yeah, and says, you know, has he, has he gotten... Has he convinced you to take your pills yet? And Ali's like, oh, oh for fuck's fuck. sake. <laughs> Ali avoids Marie on the street and seems to be having a, uh, a bit of a problem and is phoning, who I presume is a dealer of some sort. Then later, Ryan gets back to the flat and we find Ali convulsing on the floor. That was quite... I find that quite shocking, the way that Ali was... His arms and legs were bent at really strange angles. Yeah, as was, it was, and he was foaming at the mouth. It was right. quite horrible. And poor Ryan is just having flashbacks Yeah, because he doesn't have a great track record at this sort of with, thing. With, yeah, with people overdosing on drugs on the floor mm. when he walks in. But after a while, Ryan leaps into action and phones an ambulance. Ali comes round while Ryan speaks to the emergency dispatcher. Ali grabs the phone and hangs up telling Ryan that he shouldn't have phoned anyone. Then the buzzer goes and it's the paramedics that they've arrived. They quiz Ali and Ali plays it down saying that he never lost consciousness. Ryan knows this is bullshit but lets it go until the paramedic leaves and then Ryan loses his shit. What the fuck was that all about? Ryan wants to help. Well if you want to help, says Ali, score me some benzos. And he admits to being addicted and and he has been for a year. Ryan thinks that Ali is a hypocrite after the whole Cormac thing. He refuses to help, and Ali throws him against a wall, saying, This is all your fault! Which it's not. Which it's not. Later, when they've calmed, they're sitting on the floor, and Ali explains that this isn't Ryan's fault, but Ronan really fucked him up. He's not doing this to get high. He needs to stop, and he knows it needs to stop, and Maria doesn't need to know. Ryan thinks Gadas can help, but Ali says he'll lose his job. He begs Ryan for his assistance, and Ryan agrees. But Ryan... Well, he's got his own idea about assistance, hasn't he? Because he goes yeah, away he and he comes back and he's brought Robert with him. And he's got Robert involved. And they do. So now uh, Robert gets to be dad to these two right. again. So they do a little bit of train spotting on him, uh, making him go cold turkey. Ali- choose life. Yes. <laughs> choose a big fucking TV. Ali isn't impressed by this and tries to escape Scotland a couple of shite. times. <laughs> Robert wants medical assistance, but again, Ali worries about losing his job. Well... He more than worries, I suppose. Then, eventually, Ali admits that he has to go cold turkey after all. So Ryan's brought tons of DVDs and Ali tells him to keep an eye on him if he has another fit. Robert wants to help uh, to save Ali's career. And Ali's grateful to Ryan for not doing what was asked of him. Robert is proud of the pair of them. And Ryan says, thanks, Daddy. And Robert fills his wise. And that's how we end this week's episodes. (sighs) So this was another storyline that was a year in the making because this is right yeah because remember who yeah and it and it kind of flashed hot and cold because and a number of characters have said something about this with you know like i had no idea you were an addict you didn't act like an addict you were doing blah 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 blah. you know it's Mm -hmm. and they're right Although he has kind of been acting weird. And then remember he moved out 
and he was fine with Michelle and Robert getting back together. Right. And used that as an excuse to move out because he probably wants some space to to be doing drugs, mm-hmm. I guess, and stuff. The style's a palm, though. I don't think he's, he's not really... It's not injecting it in his leg or anything, you know, it's, it's no. just in the pills. Right. My granddad was on diazepam before he died. They really make you behave strangely. Do they? Mm. What, do, what do we call them here, I wonder? Is it like, because it's for anxiety, right? Uh, yeah, it's a kind of, it settles your stomach and it, it, it makes you sleep. sleep and I think it's got some kind of painkilling qualities to it as well. Hmm. But it just knocked my granddad for six. And I'm amazed it didn't burn the house down. Because he would, he'd be sleepy, he'd take it, he'd sit up for another two hours and smoke hmm. cigarettes, and the ash would be like the length of the cigarette. He'd just let it burn down and he'd be staring at space. And he wouldn't remember a thing about it. Huh. That's weird. It was horrible, actually, when yeah. I think about it. Oh. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, so this is a, a storyline that's been... <laughs> Been brewing away. I don't think I really think uh, we've seen an awful lot of evidence that this has been. It's not like Tim's dad, where Tim's dad has always been. Right, where there's been this slow progression of. But that's because. Just snapping at Maria was really the first thing that was. Right, and the only reason why he snaps at her is because he's losing his connection. Right. You know, which conveniently happens right in front of him. Right. I kind of want Ali to be well and good. I like Ali. Yeah, me too. And I like the fact that, you know, Allie and Ryan are both nicely paired off with romantic interests that make sense. Yep. I thought Ryan was excellent in tonight's episode. He was. He was. How far I has felt- he come since pretending to be drunk? Oh, God. <laughs> that, I was thinking about that the other day because I was watching something and, and somebody was pretending to be drunk. And I was just like, oh, that reminds me of that first scene when Ryan comes in and he's he's acting drunk and you can tell that he's acting because it's just so stupid yep bumping into things and falling over oh i guess you must be drunk then oh. <laughs> your moment of the week um sinead and daniel in the doctor's office finding out that she's terminal oh i thought dancing at the wedding was better knowing what we knew and i'm putting on a brave face and just trying to enjoy themselves i All thought right. it was excellent all right, fine. That's we'll give it. it to Elbow. Yeah, let's give it to Elbow. Elbow is our... <laughs> moment of the week. <laughs> moment of the week. The boring moment of the week. The whole fizz thing was just... Well... It was too short to be boring. Uh, Brian... Sad that Jetty is buying the chocolates because he wanted to buy them himself because they were almost they were almost off. There was also the several moments that, that were quite boring, boring at the wedding where Kathy was stealing people's drinks because she didn't realize oh, it was a Oh, she didn't realize it was an open bar, yeah. Yep. It was kind of funny, was funny, but it was weird the way she was like pouring drinks into other drinks. And, mm. yeah, and of course, there's Robert and Tina watching Thor Ragnarok. Oh my God, yes. Let's, there we boring. go. Oh, the, the stupid dog tags. Well, that part wasn't boring. It was just dumb. Just dumb. But them sitting and, wa- you know, when she turns it off, like, oh, there's Thor Ragnarok done. They don't even really talk about the movie. Well, of course they don't. Oh, it's so nice that that, that was one of the better Thor movies. 
I like the first Thor movie. Yeah, the first Thor movie is good. The second one was horrible. I don't think I saw that. The Dark World. Yeah, the first Thor movie is good, even though it has that that actress in it who is in that show that you absolutely hated that's no longer on. The Two Broke Girls show. Oh, yeah, she was in it. Yeah. Oh, Remember God, she Two called Broke Girls was Mjolnir. awful. Mjolnir. <laughs> Look, it's Mjolnir. That was such a bad show, Two Broke Girls. She couldn't act in Two Broke Girls, but she could act in Thor. So I guess she was doing that deliberately in the sitcom. I don't know. She was just I awful. Know. It was very anyway, poorly anyway, written. So our boring moment of the week was... Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. That's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. That is just going 10 o'clock. Do you want to wrap this up? Yes, please. If you'd like to break with tradition and drop us a line about something, here is a reasonably exhaustive list of manners in which to do so. The talk of the street at gmail.com is the way to send us an email, leave us a Skype voicemail, or drop us a buck or two into our virtual tip jar on the PayPal. We're at Corey Podcast on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook. Are you still doing the Insta? Uh, I've been I've been far too busy to post anything new, which is sad because I was gonna I was gonna post some creepy doll pictures from last week, and I, I totally forgot to do that. So I will get on I will get on the Insta this week. Especially since lots of my friends have been tagging me in pictures on Facebook of creepy dolls, which is great. Like that. Did you see my? Did you see my friend Jessica uh, posted a picture of a, a a Prince a Prince Charles doll? <laughs> it was hilarious. I was like, if I ever brought that into the house, it would be grounds for divorce. Did it look like it was plotting the death of a Diana doll? <laughs> No. Oh, that's dark. I have a vague memory of a blog over at the Talk of the Street Podcast dot WordPress dot com. Merci d'avoir réussi la fin d'une autre épisode. Nous serons de retour la semaine prochaine avec plus de Talk of the Street. Au revoir. Adios, amigo. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.